the very touching thing about an ancient story that's really survived time <clears throat> is that it's always archetypal that we are all Martha, we are all Mary, we are all the 72 waiting outside thinking why on earth can't they get on with it. Perhaps in a sense we're also all Jesus. But we are all of those characteristics and archetypes in somewhat different measure. That is our uniqueness. That is our, that is our glorious diversity. And when John O'Donohue writes about let us fear no more, what I think he's also addressing, or what he's addressing for me at least, is why could we, why should we possibly fear our diversity? And more than that, how could we fear our diversity? This is not John O'Donoghue's sentiment, it's mine. How could we possibly fear our diversity if we really understood our oneness? You know, we certainly don't have a, a yellow rose bending over to the red rose and saying, you know, you would be a much better rose if you were yellow. I mean, it's just so absurd. It is so absurd. You know, Gertrude Stein wrote that poem which said, a rose is a rose is a rose is a rose. A soul is a soul is a soul is a soul. A light is a light is a light is a light. And then we can enjoy our diversity. But in the meantime, and over thousands of years, we have allowed possessive and tribal thinking really to colonize our minds. We are all subject to it. We are all subject to stereotyping. We are all subject to prejudice. Even those of us who may suffer more explicitly from prejudice from others, we ourselves have prejudices. Yeah? It, it, it's, it, maybe it's one of the traps that causes us to fall, to pause, and to rethink. But I wish we could do it a bit faster as a human family because we are causing such devastation through our stereotyping of people that dehumanizes some and elevates others on the basis of what? on the basis of what? <coughs> because whatever justifications there are for this have no substance, have no real basis. Um, now, <coughs> there's a wonderful story. There's a wonderful story that goes just a little bit before the Martha and Mary story that tells us something <coughs> so substantial about self and other. Those of you who've been on retreats with me before will know that I'm not 
always finding my reference stories in the Gospels. But for today, it was absolutely right. Tomorrow, it could be the Upanishads, or it could be something I read last week in the newspaper. But these stories <coughs> seem to me to carry such depth, not only in our understanding of what contemplation and action and action through contemplation and how contemplation with integrity changes action. I mean, that's what we're here to discover together. But we can't discover that until we also not just discover, but rediscover and take into ourselves in the deepest possible way the meaning of what it means to separate ourselves from others and others from ourselves. So the great story of this is the story of the Good Samaritan. Now, I'm reading to you from an edition called The Five Gospels, which came from a group based in the United States, but not only American scholars, called the Jesus Seminar. And these were very tough-minded scholars who basically went through all the Christian scriptures and decide, and they were all scholars in the original languages, including the language of Jesus, which was Aramaic, and decided, well, that's pretty sus. That's very genuine. That we're unsure about. So everything in red is... Okay. <laughs> Here's the story. In other words, they were able to authenticate it. And a story about conduct is very telling, even if it's only partially authenticated. So this kind of has a double stamp of approval. I'll read it to you. There was a man going from Jerusalem down to Jericho when he fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him, beat him up, and went off, leaving him half dead. Now, there are many, many people moving through our world vulnerable to the robbery of their dignity, the robbery of their livelihood, the robbery of their well-being in every way. And there are many, many people going through our in our world, some of them much applauded, who feel free to be robbers of others' well-being. Okay, so we've already got two extraordinarily powerful archetypes that we know are lived out every day of human existence. The, robber, the robbers and the robbed. And we ourselves rob ourselves sometimes. We rob ourselves sometimes of an opportunity, for example, to really listen or to be kind or to be a bit gentler or a bit less judgmental. We rob ourselves and we are robbed. We allow ourselves also to be robbed. 
in the Martha and Mary story, we had Mary not robbing herself of that moment with Jesus and Martha through her truly beautiful need to take care of others, not giving herself that chance just to have that moment of true presence, of true love. Of of absolute love. Yeah. We rob ourselves of that too. You know, when I play music here and you have nothing else to do but listen, don't you hear it differently? From, you know, I, I, I far, far too rarely play music at home just to contemplate, just to listen. It's one of the gifts of retreat. Now, by coincidence, a priest was going down that road. When he caught sight of him, he went out of his way to avoid him. I came to live in Australia. I went to live in Australia, as I'm not there right now. I went to live in Australia in 1983. I'd already visited a lot of times because my sister lived there. In 1983, my son Gabriel was born in 1984, Keziah, my daughter, was born. And a very few years later, I went back to London where I'd lived such a long time. And when I'd left England, the, the gospel of Thatcherism was coming into its own. And uh, the unions were being crushed. And, um, well, you know rabid socialism was being put in its place. I hadn't noticed any rabid socialism myself, but anyway, apparently there was some and it was being put in its place. The point I want to make to you is this. When I went back to England, maybe it was 1988, can't remember, but the children were very little, so I think it was a bit before that. There were, for the first time in my experience of London, lots of people living on the streets. Mm -hmm. Now, in all our cities. Mm -hmm. I don't know if this is true in New Zealand. Yeah. It's true in New Zealand. Mm -hmm. People living in cardboard boxes. I had seen it in the United States. I'd seen it through the 70s in the United States. I hadn't seen it in England. Now, in, in Australia, in our big cities, people living under bridges, in cardboard boxes. And we walk past them. We do. In, we all do. In the same way, when a Levite came to the place, he took one look at him, the man who'd been robbed and was a big mess, bleeding, who knows what, um, and crossed the road to avoid him. But this Samaritan, this Samaritan, who was travelling that way, came to where the man was and was moved to pity at the sight of him. He allowed himself to know his own nature and to recognize the nature of the other man and he was moved to experience his own capacity for empathy. In other words, he had not robbed himself of his capacity for empathy. 
In the Upanishads it, said, it says, see yourself in others and others in yourself and you will have nothing to fear. So the Samaritan went up to the man, bandaged, bandaged his wounds, pouring olive oil and wine on them. He hoisted him onto his own animal. So we assume then he walked alongside, it was his, probably his donkey. Brought him to an inn and looked after him. The next day, now this is very interesting. So he obviously stayed with him all night. The next day, when he thought perhaps this man could be left, he took out two silver coins, which I imagine was not insignificant. Two silver coins, which he gave to the innkeeper and said, look after him, and on my way back, I'll reimburse you for any extra expense you have had. In other words, my care does not end here. My care continues. I also think that the giving of the coins is really very interesting to us because there are many situations now where we can't pick people up first hand, but we can support through our coins, through our prayers, through our, through our activism, those who are picking them up taking them to an inn or to a tent or to a cardboard box and caring. Yeah? So each of these currencies of care is carefully noted in this story from 2,000 years ago. Each of these currencies of care is noted and each of these temptations to turn away is also noted. And we are everywhere in this story. We are everywhere. But the aspect that I particularly want to draw your attention to, which may be very familiar to some of you and less familiar to others, is that both the priest and the Levite were kind of honoured among the people who were hearing this story at that time. Samaritans were the dishonoured. That's why this story is so heavenly. That's why this story is divinely inspired because this is the story that tells us we are one human family. Call me a Samaritan, call you a Levite, call you a priest, call me a priest, call you a Samaritan. We are all one human family. And any teaching that divides us serves us very badly. Any teaching that unites us doesn't pretend we're all the same. We don't have to be all the same. It would be ridiculous. How ridiculous and dreary life would be if we were all the same. We need our differences to learn from one another, don't we? We need our subtle and great differences to learn from one another and to learn what this culture brings and that culture brings and this individual brings and that individual despises and this individual adores. We need that. Let's not be afraid of it. 
of course we will have our preferences. But through this, if we are to grow up, if we are to grow up as a human family, if we are to grow into the wonder and awe, the wonder and awe that contemplation allows us, If we were to spend our afternoons, and some of you may spend your afternoon, contemplating the marvel of the physical universe and your place in it, how could you deny that beauty and care to others sharing this physical existence? It is contemplation leading to recognition of not just who am I, but who are you. Contemplation leading to recognition, growing consciousness, growing love, growing awe, and growing forgiveness too, you know, for all the things that we ourselves haven't done, never mind the enormous things that other people haven't done. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Leading to actions. So the actions in this story are so specifically described. I'll bring them to your attention. The actions of the robbers... Stripping the person, in other words, exposing that person in their vulnerable nakedness. We, we all need our clothes as we move through life together. We need our clothes for protection, largely, not least from the elements. Beat him. Now, why did they need to beat him? Why did they need to beat him? In order, I guess, to tell him that his life was not really worth living. To tell him that they had strength that he didn't have. But of course, they only had strength because they had the strength of numbers. Hmm? And then they left him half dead. Though they didn't kill him, but they left him so injured, he was half dead. Those those were the actions of the robbers. So those are gross robbery actions. Presumably they took his money, but we don't even hear that. So what are the actions of the priest? Well, the priest is walking down the road purposefully. And um, after all, I'm a priest. And I'm walking down the road purposefully. And please respect me. I am a priest. I'm walking down the road purposefully. Let's assume that. He catches sight of this person. How troublesome. How troublesome is that sight? It is troublesome, isn't it? You know, it's troublesome. But I'm not going to be troubled for long because I'm going to go out of my way 
to avoid feeling troubled. I do it all the time. We do, we do it all the time. We, we try to avoid being troubled. Or, this also happens to me, we feel so over-troubled, we don't know what to do with it. We feel overwhelmed with troubles. I know some of you are, like me, socially active on Twitter, which is a very strong place for social activism. And sometimes I'm overwhelmed by it. And drawn to it. So then comes the Levite who took one look at him. The Gospel tells us only one look. <laughs> one look. But one look was enough. Hmm? One look was enough and crossed the road to avoid him. We had a very big service we had a very big service at Pitt Street. Rod was there and Paul was there and Hillary was there. Were any of you others there? No. I think. We had a very big service last month at Pitt Street. And I spoke about the path of love. That there is only one path. It is the path of love. But we forget. We forget that we are on the path of love. So we cross the road to avoid, but we can't really step off. We can't really avoid. We can only shut our thoughts down or shut our heart down or shut our empathy down, but we pay a big price. That was how I started speaking with you this morning. I cannot harm you without harming myself. I cannot love you without growing in self-respect and self-forgiveness and even self-love. Yeah. And then we have the Samaritan. Now, this raises a very interesting question. This raises such an interesting question. Was it his conditioning as a Samaritan or was it his aliveness to his original nature? Because it could have been a different priest with a different response. It could have been a different Levite with a different response. It could have been a different Samaritan with a different response. So this particular Samaritan, and, the, and it's wonderful that this was chosen because they were the despised people. But under other circumstances, it could be any one of them acting in any one of those paths. Do you see what I mean? We are not divided by our label. We are not divided by our labels. The label functions here very, very powerfully because it's telling us that even priestly status, even Levite status, doesn't rescue us when the impulse is to turn away rather than to care. It's also telling us that our Samaritan status of the despised, the unclean, 
nevertheless does not stand in our way when we know we must care and go on caring through the currency through the currency of coins yeah so these are the actions of the samaritan who could also be any one of us or also be any priest or also any levite or also any anybody do you really get that it's so important that we don't produce a hierarchy in our own minds of some groups can do this and other groups will never do that because then we fall into stereotypes which divides us one from another so the stereotyping works here in this story because it's archetypal yeah but we could switch all the roles and learn from it so these are the actions bandaging pouring olive oil and wine putting on the animal in other words giving up my comfort for yours i'm walking he's carried because the man's half dead he can't walk finding him a place to rest and in next day giving the two coins to the innkeeper so that the innkeeper will carry on the helping so those are all actions of love but most of all they are actions of interbeing they are actions of interconnectedness they are more than actions of self and other they are actions that are themselves sacramental they are actions of blessing for the gifts of human existence which is the gift not just of awareness which we we grow and nurture and discover and recognize through contemplation they are also the gifts of conscience what do we owe life for being alive what do we owe life for being alive and where is the joy in it where is the joy in it where is our our unfolding sense of interbeing and interconnectedness also bringing joy solace yes compassion absolutely care concern respect 100% but also joy om shanti